Doesn't that video just kind of make you feel proud to be an American? Doesn't it make you just want to stand up here and start singing, God bless America? What isn't everybody? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make you do that. It's awesome. It really is. I, I, I'm excited because I have a different perspective than probably a lot of you in this room. I feel privileged to be a U.S. citizen because I wasn't always a U.S. citizen. I came to this country in 1976, and my life changed overnight. Prior to that, everything in our life, almost everything, at least from a financial standpoint, was a struggle. And coming to the U.S. provided the opportunity and the means for our family to be able to do something about that. And now, as an adult, I appreciate the U.S. even more. You know, this belief that anyone, regardless of who you are, where you're born, what class you belong to, can attain their own version of success. And I've been to several places around the world, maybe not as many as a lot of you, but I've been to enough to know that that opportunity doesn't exist in other places. It doesn't exist where I come from. And you see, this is one of the things that makes America great. Because from the outside looking in, it would appear that God blesses America and that God blesses the rich. Now, on the other hand, I also have a different perspective because I grew up poor. And it would appear from the outside looking in is that God curses the poor. In fact, our family, we were so poor... Oh, man. Thank you for that. <laughs> we were so poor that ducks used to pass by and throw bread at us. That's how poor we were. <laughs> we were so poor that kids in Africa used to send us money. That's how poor we were. We were so poor that our only toy was a dead mouse, and we used to, we used to have to take turns playing with it. Now, that's the exact same thing that happened first service. People started believing that I actually played with a dead mouse growing up. Folks, I'm just kidding. I, I didn't have a dead mouse like a little marionette that we would play with. But I'll tell you one more. We were so poor that a burglar broke in once, left us money. That's how poor we were. <laughs> but here's the point. Does God curse the poor? Growing up, I recall many conversations with my mom, and I used to love these conversations with her. And she would liken being poor with starting out your life in a hole and then spending, she would say, and then you spend a majority of your adult life trying to crawl out of that hole while there's other forces, bad decisions that you make and other forces, circumstances, whether good or bad or people for you or against you, and you're just trying to climb out of that hole. There's a reason why people say that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Some of you may agree with that. I like what F. Scott Fitzgerald said in the book, The Great Gatsby. He writes, the rich get richer and the poor get children, which is certainly my case because I grew up with 10 brothers and sisters. There's 10 of us in there. So does God bless the rich and curse the poor? And there's some truth to that because if you read into Scripture, the Bible teaches that God blesses those who follow him and that are obedient to him. But there's a problem with that. There's a lot of people here in this room, you may be one of them, me included, who love God, follow him, and are obedient to him as, as far as we know how and can, and yet we don't feel blessed at all. You know, bad religion is saying that God blesses the rich and curses the poor. I mean, where did this idea, where did we get this idea to begin with? Well, for starters, the Bible. 
If you go back into the Old Testament, and you look in one chapter, there's several, but I'm going to talk to you about Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's the, the first part of the chapter tells you one thing, and the second part of the chapter tells you another thing. And Deuteronomy teaches in the first part that those who are obedient to God's commands are blessed with affluence and victory. And on the other hand, the second part of that chapter tells us that those who are disobedient are cursed and they suffer the consequences of drought, disease, and deprivation. And then you would think that it's just an Old Testament thing, right? That something that we just held on to from the Old Testament that is probably easier for us to believe in. But then you look into the New Testament... And in Matthew 25, Jesus himself, after speaking about the parable of the talents, this is how he concludes that parable. He says, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they do have will be taken from them. And then Paul in Ephesians reminds us that every believer is blessed with every spiritual blessing from Christ. And now inherit the blessings promised through the patriarchs, which reminds us in Hebrews. And as a result of receiving God's blessings all throughout the New Testament from Luke, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 1 Peter, tells us that God's blessings in Christ, that believers, because of those blessings, are called to use it to help the world, especially in response to those who persecute them. So God blesses those who love him so they can help the world, Right? That's what it sounds like. And my guess is that many of you in this room see this title and think, well, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But perhaps it's because we're looking at it from a perspective where we are blessed ourselves. But what if we're not doing well? What if it feels like you're in that hole that I just explained and you're just trying to get out? I mean, how many of us in this room have cried out to God because of financial hardships? How many times have we said and cried out and questioned and asked God, what are you trying to teach me through this trial? Father, why? Why am I facing this sickness, this pain, this cancer, this disability? And yet we thank God when we get a raise. Or we thank God when we succeed in this big adventure. And we thank God when he protects us from what other people are facing. And we see it and we say, Father, thank you that I'm not facing the same thing. So which is it? Is God blessing us and not others? Or is God blessing others, just not you? This doesn't make sense, does it? And yet we built, in some cases, an entire faith around this premise and this culture that God blesses the rich and curses the poor. I mean, does God only care about you when things are going well and when things are not going well, he lets things bad, bad things happen to you. And the, the truth is that even when we know that's not true, deep down inside, all of us know that's not the case. Yet we can't help but feel that way sometimes. So what do we do about it? Well, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to give you guys a second to open up your Bibles. Anyone? You should bring your Bibles. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. 
Have you guys heard the stories of these famous art pieces and, and, and where they were found? There's several stories, but I want to share with you a few. This, this painting here is Magnolias on Gold Velvet Cloth. This was purchased at a thrift store that was being used to cover up the hole in the owner's wall. Now, the Venus de Milo was found on the island of Milo under some rubble in a peasant's home, and it is now in the Louvre Museum. This uh, Andy Warhol sketch was picked up at a garage sale for $5, and it should have stayed at $5 if you look at it, but it was sold for $2 million. Picasso's seated woman with the red hat was in a basement of an art museum, and it was completely forgotten about. This is a, a long list of amazing stories, but here's the question. Does the art change from the basement to the museum? Does the art change when it was worth $5 or $2 million? And in our minds, because we think financially most of the time, the answer would be yes, but did the art actually change? Isn't it the same art? It is the same treasure no matter its location or situation. Let me read verse 7 to you again that Paul says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Other translations, if you're looking at your Bible, it says treasures in jars of clay. Meaning that we have this treasure, Jesus, inside of us, the gospel, his word, inside of us, and we are these earthen vessels, these jars of clay. We are mere containers. Our value is what is inside, not where the container is placed. Does your value change whether you live in the nicest place or a garbage dump? Of course, the answer is no. The value is based on what is inside of the container. The treasure, you see, never changes no matter how it's being valued or no matter what our world says is worth and it doesn't matter what location it's in. And it is the same thing with Christ within us. How many of you have met wealthy people who seem to be empty, lonely, and unfulfilled? And how many of you have known someone who is among the poorest of the poor and are just blown away because of all of their joy and contentment and enthusiasm for life? And I started thinking and realized that maybe, maybe the issue is not whether God blesses the rich or the poor or curses the poor. Maybe the real issue is what we think a blessing and a curse are. Maybe the real issue is how we would define a blessing and a curse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, this is what Paul continues to say. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. This tells us that we know affliction is coming, and we know that we're going to be hard-pressed, but it reminds us that we also know that it's not going to beat us. What's interesting, that it's in the midst of this affliction is really the only time that we forget these verses and we question, you know, God, why have you forsaken me? And I think it would be important for us. It certainly would be wise for us to understand what it means to be hard-pressed or to look at it from a different angle and to see what it means to be truly afflicted. Because it reveals the truth about what God says our world is like. Acts chapter 23 tells us that the next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink 
until they had killed Paul. You think was, uh, Paul was a little hard-pressed over this? You feel he was a little afflicted? You have a, a group of people hunting him down to kill him. That, to me, is a different angle on what it means to be hard-pressed. Here's a man, a pillar of our history, being hunted down, persecuted, having some kind of major affliction, and yet Paul, we just read about, is the same guy who can say that he was not crushed, perplexed, nor in despair. And I'm sure Paul doesn't mention it, but I'm sure it wasn't easy. Question is, if we feel hard-pressed right now, can we say, can we too say that we are not crushed, perplexed, nor in despair? And on the same token, it would be important and certainly wise for us to understand what blessings from God look like or what, can, or what they can look like. We have to understand that those blessings are not always material or financial, which is what most of us pray for. God, that you would enrich my territory. And there's a time and a place for that. But let me show you a list of what God blesses. And it comes from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking of the Beatitudes. And he gives us this list. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now think about what has to happen in order to receive these blessings. You have to be poor in spirit. You have to be mourning. Talk about being afflicted. You see, it is one thing for people to speak of God's blessings when their life is blessed. It is one thing for people to speak of God's blessing from a blessed life's perspective, but it is another thing to speak of God's blessing having gone through these afflictions and this hardship and being hard-pressed. Because you see, those stories, when I hear stories like that, those are the stories that resonate with most of the stories of the Bible. Those stories are complex. They're not always pretty. Sometimes they're confusing. And yet, those are the stories where you can feel Jesus. Paul goes on to say, in verse 9, still in the same chapter, chapter 4, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed, summarizes by saying, all this for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And there's some very important attributes that Paul had through his journey. Since the time that he had this transformation, when he was Saul of Tarsus, and he met, he had an encounter with God, and became Paul, and he understood certain things, and because of that, he had to go through some blessings, and he had to go through some curses, and there were some attributes, some aspects of his life that I picked up on. Three of them, there's more, but I want to tell you about three this morning. And the first one is that Paul understood his purpose. Paul had no doubt what his purpose in life was. You know, when we talk about our core value here, one of them is pursuing Christ. Paul would have understood that from day one. 
Paul would say, you know, I know my makeup. I know what God has placed in me, my spiritual gifts. I know my experiences, my background, and I know my purpose. I know what God has called me to do. And since the moment that Paul did a 180 in his life, he spent his entire life, the rest of his life, trying to fulfill that purpose. And that is to tell other people the good news about Jesus Christ. The question is, can we do the same? Is this something for us today? Because here's the truth. Can you be wealthy and full of joy and contentment and have enthusiasm for life? Absolutely. Can you be poor and be miserable and bitter and lonely and sad? Sad? Definitely. The question is, do you understand your purpose? Have you asked God, God, what purpose do you have for my life? What is it that you want me to do? And those of you that have received that answer, are you doing it? Because if Christ is in you, you are blessed, rich or poor. Every circumstance serves to draw us closer to him, to teach us how to grow and persevere. And those of you that have experienced this can attest that it is in our toughest times when we often feel that God is nearest to us. When we often feel that God teaches us to depend on him daily. And likewise, some of us can attest to the struggle. And I'm preaching to myself. Some of us can attest to the struggle of surrendering our possessions daily for the benefit of the kingdom. And we struggle to put Christ as our ultimate security. Instead, we pursue other things, right? But both circumstances, rich or poor, serve to stretch us and to bless us if we respond correctly. Paul, you see, understood that. Do we? The second thing that Paul understood is that Paul learned to be content. And we can really see this in his next words here. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And I love how he puts this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. You think God had, I mean, you think Paul had a different perspective on what was important in his life? You think he was focused on the here and now, or was he focused on long-term eternity? You know, Paul in chapter 4 begins by declaring that we are in ministry and have received mercy no matter what we face and that we will not lose heart. And then he goes on throughout the whole chapter and explains why. It's not that we're blessed because of every good thing that this world has to offer. In fact, it's quite the opposite. What the world offers probably, I'm saying, probably will separate us more from God that connect us to God. Later in chapter 6, Paul gives us this insight into his ministry and the difficulty of his purpose that God laid out for him. What's interesting is that we just finished reading that he considered these light and momentary struggles. He says, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, 
and understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God. Now he's given us both sides, what we may consider rich or poor, blessing or curse, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Now, does that mean that we have to live a miserable life in order to call Christ our Lord and be called Christians? Well, we know the answer, right? But bad religion will tell you that God blesses the rich and curses the poor. I think a better phrase would be that God blesses the content, both rich and poor. God blesses the content, both rich and poor. You can read those verses and either be rich or poor. The social standards of our day do not define that treasure that is within us. Wealth, you see, can be a blessing or a curse. Poverty can be a blessing or a curse. And some of you may be saying this morning, well, if that's the case, I choose the wealthy blessings from God, right? However, a God that truly loves you is probably not going to listen to that thought. Because what if in total poverty and hardship, as the world would define it, would cause you to seek God daily, and you were successful in having a relationship with him that lasted through eternity? In fact, I see this happening all the time. It happened a couple of weeks ago. A person that, 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 I, that I talk with has, is facing one of the biggest struggles in their life right now. Was not a believer, and through these struggles, he accepted Christ into his life and now has a relationship with Christ, and now he's going to be with Christ through eternity. The struggles haven't gone away. They are still there. What if having the world's idea of a blessing caused you to be so distracted that you forgot about God and you went on a different direction and maybe you missed eternity altogether. What would a loving God want for your life? I think it's important for us that we would get to know and that we would honor that treasure that is within us so that Paul, we can learn to say, I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I didn't put the next scripture because I think some, well, most of you know it by heart. Philippians 4.13, For I will, can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Which leads us to this third idea that Paul showed us, this attribute that he had, and that, that's that Paul trusted in God's plan. Again, since that he received that, trend, that moment, we had that encounter with God, Paul knew what he was going to do for the rest of his life. He knew his purpose, and he took steps towards that purpose, but then he knew that God had his back and that he had the ultimate plan. In fact, in the Bible, we're told to be like Jesus, right? So what does that mean? There's like 29 scriptures that I found specifically that tell the reader to be like Christ. Two of them are about forgiving like Jesus forgave. Two are about being meek and gentle. Four are just general statements to follow Christ. But 21 of them, most of them, 
are basically examples of Christ's servanthood and sufferings. And Paul points these out, saying in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty may become rich. And then Jesus himself says in Luke that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. See, God knows the plan for your life. And he has a lot of plans for your life, but the main one is for you to spend eternity with him. And that when you learn that, that you will talk about him and you would preach his word or preach is another fancy word for speaking about his word. Do we realize how important that is? That God truly loves us and wants nothing more than for you and I to be in eternity with him. Because again, what if the world's blessings would actually make you forget about God? What would a loving God really do for you to be able to experience your purpose and your plan? Sit in that for a second. How would that affect your life if you truly, like Paul did, decided that you were going to pursue God's purpose for your life and that you knew and trusted that God had a plan? What does that look like in your life? Because I think that is something that we can all take home with us as we leave out of these doors. Paul, again, in 1 Timothy says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Folks, bad religion is saying that God blesses the rich and curses the poor. Maybe God has blessed you with wealth. The question is, are you using it for his glory? To whom much is given, much is required. Can you and will you, and I encourage you to take this burden of wealth and use it wisely, wisely that you would be a different people as you walk out of those doors, that you would be a people that would use that wealth to bless others and tell and support ministries that tell people about others. But let me close with this final thought as we continue to evaluate this whole series of bad religion that we've been in, and specifically how it affects your life. I want to remind you that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're walking in step with Christ, I want to remind you that that blessing far surpasses anything that you may be experiencing in the material or any hardship or affliction you may be facing. We as believers have access to this never-ending supply of grace and blessing. It is part of the treasure that is within us. We are mere earthen vessels, jars of clay, containers. And I believe that Paul used this language to remind himself and his readers, you and myself, that our bodies are ultimately weak, and fragile. Paul, you see, had this deepening sense of his own unworthiness compared to the treasure that was inside of him. And it's interesting that Paul uses jars of clay, but he used it because they had little value. They weren't very pretty, and mostly because they did not attract attention to themselves. Paul understood that all surpassing power comes from God and not from us. In this idea that he had this 
absolute insufficiency that we have as human beings, that that reveals the total sufficiency of God. So this morning, if you find yourself looking at your hardships, your afflictions, or you're looking at someone else's material state, wondering what it's supposed to mean, let me challenge you to ask another question instead. Ask yourself, how can I feel fully blessed, full of joy, contentment in all circumstances, no matter what persecution may come my way, no matter what season of prosperity I find myself in? Ask yourself, how can I attain that? How, like Paul, can I learn to be content? Some of us may be poor and struggling to see the blessings in our life right now. Some of us may be wealthy and still feel, feel unfulfilled and empty. I think if you want to experience God's blessing, one that will fill your every moment of your day, one that will allow you to say that you are following your purpose and learning to be content and trusting God's plan for your life, I think that all of us need to ponder a lot of questions this morning, and I'm preaching to myself. You're not alone in this. I am as well. But if that's you, and you want to take up on that, that, that pondering, that reflection that I'm asking you to do, I just ask you at this moment to just close your eyes with me for a second. Bow your heads. No one looking. And for me, what's true in my life is that I learned that the first thing that I need to do is just confess. Confess that that affects me, that I am part of that group that is seeking material means more than blessings from God. So if you're in this room and you've struggled with this issue, and again, every head bowed, every eye closed, with no one looking around, and you would like to make this confession before God, will you just raise your hand for me? And I'm just asking this because I want to pray for you. No one's looking around. If you struggle with this and you want me to pray for you, just raise your hand. I see your hands. You can put it back down. I see your hands. Thank you. Anyone else? Praise God. Father, you see our hands. Father, that we would come before you and confess that we struggle with these things, Father. That we seek material things, that we seek blessings or what we define as blessings or what the world defines as blessings, Lord. And when we don't receive them, we think that you're angry at us or that you're punishing us or that you're cursing us, Father. And when things get worse, Lord, we are like wondering where you're at. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for that understanding. For we know that you are within us. We have this treasure within us, Father, that can just help us in our time of need, whether good or bad. Whether in want or in need, Father, we pray that you would help us to be like Paul, that in all circumstances that we would learn to be content. Father, we pray that as we walk out of these doors, that we would be one step closer to understanding and fulfilling the purpose and the plan that you have for our life, Father. We pray that in the end of all of this, Lord, not for our sake, our broken earthen vessels, Lord, that we would give you glory and that other people would come to know you as a result of our model, our experience, and our testimony. To you be the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.